is nice. it? Oh, here it is. Look at this little hot dog, man. You should hold up a sign that says I was stupid and the arrow's pointing at you, Edwin. Oh, oh, dog, okay. This Your dad gave this to me, this photo of yeah. you. Yeah. Big old weenie. That's beautiful. <laughs> Edwin, lit, was, that, bitch. was that taken yesterday? It was taken oh. of him watching Speed Racer. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. It's your best photo, dude. Hello, Secret Movie Clubbers. Welcome to Secret Movie Club Podcast 96. As I was just telling the team, we are recording during the Ides of March. I'm just going to be humble and yet try to exert discretion and free will to navigate this. Today, we are talking about Speed Racer and the Wachowskis. We actually just showed Speed Racer as part of our reconsideration cinema. It's a movie that I love, but as you're going to hear from the team, not everybody loves it. And certainly when it came out, it was not a hit. And we have, for the first time, a special guest. She has been OG from the beginning. Would everybody <laughs> give it up for Anne Mortensen Agnew? Thank you guys very much for having me on. I'm very excited and flattered to be here. Anne is a TV and movie writer and loves anime. Uh, yeah. She's also an avid film aficionado, and we've been hanging with her, and she's been a friend. for. When was the first time you came to Super Movie Club? It was Enter the Dragon in September 2018. Oh, sweet. So there, yes. I mean, look, four years. God, oh my gosh, it is going to be four years. Um, I'm an animation writer, animation and comics with the tabletop and video games from here and there. But yeah, I've been an anime fan my whole life. And actually, in retrospect, one of the first anime I ever saw was Speed Racer on Cartoon Network when I was a little kid. And Anne, so, you're awesome. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. You guys Just, are awesome too. And it's good to have a female <laughs> voice on the show. So thank you for being here. Thank you. And who uh, else is with us? Hello, it's Daniel. Hey, it's me, Carnal Lloyd Cruz, the people's champion. Moral America. This another day in the teenage wasteland of life. Edwin, you're in your 20s. Just go off, man. Edwin has his trademark Coca-Cola in his hands. And when I invited him to my daughter's third birthday, his only question was, was there going to be Coke? And I told him that was a totally inappropriate question for a children's birthday. So there's no Coke involved. I still don't think you understand my joke. Yeah, I, I get the joke. I get the joke. So do I have to go to the store and buy, buy it? Oh, I'll do it. No, you Thank don't you. understand the joke. That's, you still think I'm talking about Coca-Cola, but that's okay. It's wonderful to have everybody here. By the time that you hear this, we are going to be doing a rock opera musical double, both on 35, The Who's Tommy and Pink Floyd's The Wall at the Secret Movie Club Theater. Saturday, we are going to be showing a double of Prince. Purple Rain is one of my favorite pop songs of all time. I used to torture everyone on my birthday by singing it. I love singing, but I can't really sing. And I certainly can't really sing Purple Rain. But I love that song. We're going to do Purple Rain on 35mm and then Prince's concert film, like criminally underseen and often considered one of the greatest concert films of all time, Sign of the Times. And then next Tuesday, March 22nd, is our Take a Chance Cinema on David Lowry's Ghost Story. I hope you guys will come see this movie. It was just made a few years ago. A friend recommended it to me, and I always love when someone recommends something. In fact, Anne has recommended an Estonian <laughs> science fiction film that I'm determined to see and maybe show. But uh, I saw this uh, ghost story. I hadn't heard too much about it. It blew my mind, especially the more I thought about it. It's incredible. It says that it stars Casey Affleck and Bruno Mara, but it really stars someone with a sheet over them who is dead for 100 years in a cyclical loop in a house. You really have to see it. It's a conceit that you don't think should work, and yet it works hauntingly. No pun intended. It's amazing. Then on Wednesday, I've been promising it. You're going to do it or not. We are doing a live improv with the resistance of the 1977 softcore musical Cinderella on 35 millimeter. The resistance is going to do a quick live improv ahead of time, and then they're going to live dub Cinderella. 
I keep saying this and people laugh. I kind of mean it as a joke, kind of not. We did this because it supposedly has great music. It has a reputation in the softcore world as being the Rocky Horror of softcore musicals. I don't know how many softcore musicals exist. We're doing that. And then on Thursday, it's our first night of open mic short night in March. The theme is musicals. But I think that for the first one, we're going to be doing a bunch of shorts that aren't on that theme because everyone who's doing the musical challenge is probably going to show in the second night. But if you got a short, please submit at the end of every month. We're now showing shorts and filmmakers are getting to know filmmakers. I am going to be doing another short, not starring Edwin, who's like a superstar. The one that starred Edwin killed. And this one is more of a Stan Brackage musical montage of Los Angeles. So we'll see if it works. As always, write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. If you have complaints, though, write Edwin. Uh, and then you can find out about everything that we do at secretmovieclub.com or go to Eventbrite at secretmovieclub.com. Here we go. So interestingly, the Wachowskis had made the Matrix trilogy. Coming off the Matrix trilogy, they really could do anything. Does anyone know, was V for Vendetta, which they produced and wrote, was that before Speed Racer? Uh, I believe it was. I think V for Vendetta was right after the Matrix. Was a... it was like 2004, 2005. But they didn't really direct it. They wrote it and they kind of did a George Lucas thing where they got someone else to direct it. They were probably yeah. burned out on doing the Matrix, which is understandable. But then they came back to directing with Speed Racer, which was a live adaptation of the 1960s anime Speed Racer cartoon, which, as Anne said, plays on Cartoon Network. And many people discovered I remember it played like Saturday mornings when I was a kid. It had to have been one of the first animes I saw, too. Yeah, it was one of the first ones that I ever saw. I didn't even know what anime was. Yeah. I, just like, I just thought it was a cartoon. Yeah, I don't think I ever registered it as an anime. It was just a cartoon that was on a bunch. And Speed Racer was definitely meant for kids. It dealt with our lead Speed Racer and his family and a bunch of races that he had. And a monkey, Chim Chim, and a bunch of great stuff and a lot of fun and a lot of evil dastardly villains. And the Wachowskis actually had this epiphany, having worked more and more with digital and with computers, that you no longer had to just accept the grammar of cinema, which they would say was, okay, you have a shot, you cut, you have a shot, you cut. With computers, you could have different transitions and it could actually all be one shot if you wanted to. The transitions could be transitions on close-ups that acted as wipes. And so they use Speed Racer to try to, in a way, do a new kind of filmic grammar. It starred Emile Hirsch, John Goodman, Susan Sarandon, Christina Ricci. Roger Allen, I think, is Royalton. Matthew Fox. It was a live action adaptation, but it tried to retain the heart of the anime. Basically, the storyline is that Speed, his brother, dies or mysteriously disappears. Uh, no one really knows. Speed follows in his brother's footsteps and becomes a racer. And he's so good that uh, Royalton, who heads up this conglomerate, wants him to race. But Speed struggles with does he want to be with the corporation or not? And when he decides not, Royalton turns on him and turns on the family. And the family has to figure out a way to still do what they love in a world where corporations seem to crush everything. I loved it. I, I loved it so much. When it came out in 2008, I want to say it was, I was in high school and I was too cool for this Speed Racer movie. Like the Matrix sequels weren't good. And like, I was a woman of taste at age 16 and like, this was for <laughs> kids. So like, whatever, I'm not going to go see Speed Could Racer. Could that be the title of the first part of your memoir is a woman of taste? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Exemplary taste. Later, I'm I'm in college and I I moved to LA from Philadelphia to write for animation. So I was studying that and I made friends with a bunch of animators who all were just gonzo for Speed Racer. I was like, oh, I heard that movie was bad, and they were like, no, that you're incorrect. That movie's amazing. And I was like, okay. And then later, as I learned that actually I enjoy everything, I especially enjoy weird things. And one of the things I loved about the Wachowskis, which you know we see in this movie, is they are always doing something new and different and strange, which was makes them one of my favorite directors. I actively put off watching Speed Racer because I did not want the first time I saw what had been described to me as a candy-colored adrenaline dreamscape to be on a laptop. So this was my first time seeing it, and it completely lived up to the hype. It was genuinely incredible. By the way, kudos to yes. you and your friend for coming in Matrix jackets. Yes, my friend <laughs> May Cat, who is a fellow animation writer and also Matrix super enthusiast. May, in fact, The Matrix is one of her origin stories for being a professional creative. She owns Hugo Weaving's copy of the shooting script that went up on eBay a few months ago. She bought Whoa. it. I've read it. It's very cool, like seeing Hugo Weaving's like notes for, you know, how he's going to play Agent Smith. It's truly incredible. <laughs> you're a huge anime fan, but you had not seen this Speed Racer. So yeah. your reaction, you just saw it about five days ago in a sold out audience, which was, I think, the way to see it. And probably as an experience you couldn't have gotten until now, because I think when it came out, it almost certainly didn't have any sold out audiences. No, I think when it came out, people were like, the like the f is this? They're too busy seeing Iron Man in the Dark Knight. They're like, this isn't the Matrix. I was promised more Matrix. They were not actually promised. The Wachowskis apparently were like very much, this is a movie for children. This is a movie for children. Stop expecting the Matrix. I'm glad that I waited because I, it kind of reminds me of um, that bit in Back to the Future where Marty like plays Van Halen and everybody's like, what is this? And he's like, your kids are going to like this. Don't worry. I feel like 2008 people were not ready for Speed Racer, but Speed Racer had to happen for like so much of like just the playing with genre. Like, I mean, that's just the Wachowski is like in 10 years, everyone's going to look back on what they've done and be like, oh, this was great actually. Edwin, I, you know, I know for some reason the relationship we all have in Secret Movie Club is like a bit prickly and cantankerous at the same time that it's loving. But I also appreciate because not this movie was not a hit and a lot of people don't think it's great. And you were telling us ahead of the show that you're not a fan of it, so tell us your thoughts. It's, uh, it's not a good picture. It's not a good picture. I can't dig it. There's too much CGI going all over the place. In the beginning of the picture, there's like too many flashback scenes happening all at once. Like, okay, chill. Brother's dead. Typical origin story. Blah, 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 blah. It just kind of killed like the true essence of like practical car chase and race stuff like that. You know, that's why for me personally, I want to see the real stunts and all real drivers driving actual physical cars, not whatever this is right now. Uh, I just could not get into it. Just like so many things happening all at once. I just like, you know, now I love the movie and I'll get to my thing, but I, I want to back you up I, here, Edwin. I think Edwin, I think you're the odd man out here, to be honest. But that's good. It makes it a conversation. It's America. We do uh, need a dissenting voice in the room to tell him that he's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> But Edwin, you bring up a really good point here, which is that the car chases are almost all animated. Yeah, and I don't like that. It's it's unbearable. Like totally fair. And so even though it's live action, a lot of the movie is still, for all intents and purposes, cartoon, despite the fact that you have real people sort of composited into the cars. So I, I think that's important for people to know going into the picture. Also, no. Uh, why does Matthew Fox try to sound like George Clooney? He sounds so much like George Clooney. Hey, I saw Batman Robin. Let me make my voice like that. Like They were going out at the time. Yeah. 
That's true. You pick so up you pick up the mannerisms of your lover. Yeah, Matthew was under his tutelage trying to be like a TV actor, break out into movies, and he just didn't do as well. Sorry, Matt. Yeah, it sucks. I love this movie. I think it's great. I think it's one of my favorite movies. I think Edwin's points, while I think they stand and I think they work as personal preference, I think it's a little bit like my friends who like complain about Marvel movies and are like, there's too many characters in, in that big team-up movie. And it's like, well, that's kind of the point. <laughs> It's like to to go to this movie and to complain about the animation and, and CG and effects and stuff. I don't know. Again, it's it's like getting an apple and eating an apple, then being mad that you are eating an apple because it tastes like an apple. Because I think the style in this is at least 60% of what works, 65%. I think it's so unique and so interesting. And I love this kind of experimentation. It's interesting that it did come out in 2008 because I think there is this kind of dichotomy that people will bring up with Iron Man and Dark Knight coming out that same year. But functionally, as lighter as the MCU stuff is to all the DC stuff, it's still realistic. You know, like as trippy or weird as it gets it still functions in a real world what i love about something like speed racer i love this about scott pilgrim it's one of the thing i appreciate about like jean-luc godard for instance which we covered a couple weeks ago is that sort of complete dedication to this style and i think the visuals hold up remarkably well in the same way that scott pilgrim does because cgi that's realistic from like 20 years ago looks kind of iffy now this cgi is not even trying to look real it never looked well it's right it's stylized Mm -hmm. which actually in retrospect was a brilliant decision yeah because it holds up i think it looks probably the same way it looks to us now as it looks then as opposed to again some sort of heavy cgi movie that's from that era i do also love I think thematically, the movie also goes into something that the Wachowskis seem to be obsessed with. In some ways, some of the thematic stuff feels like a dry run for uh, Matrix Resurrections in terms of like the corporations and selling out and the point of making art for the purpose of making art. It's like such an on-the-nose line, but I love the little exchange he has with John Goodman, where John Goodman's like, what do you, what do you think? You think you can drive a car and change the world? And Speed's just like... Maybe not, but it's the only thing I know how to do, and I got to do something. It's so earnest and goofy, but I love that kind of stuff. I love earnest, big emotions, and yeah, this movie's a blast. And if you can see it with an audience, definitely see it. Yeah, Connor was there that night, too, and you staked out the good spot. Uh, Me and former guest and Secret Movie Club buddy Jamie was there, and we sat next to each other on the couch and enjoyed Speed Racer together. Uh, uh, Note, there's a side note, when that was happening... I wanted to be there, but I was at the Beverly because I didn't want to miss a Kung Fu movie. Thank you. Sorry about that. Thank you okay. for that content. That's getting cut. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Anne, Connor, and I are, are on a similar ground here. Let me set up the world in 2008. I am weeks away from graduating high school. I've just seen Iron Man, which I sort of was like, summer's done. Like, how do you top? This is a thing that's happened. Like, movies are dope. I'm 18. Life is good. And then a week later... Speed Racer drops. None of my friends want to see Speed Racer. I go to see Speed Racer at the Cinemark IMAX on 71st Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma with a crowd of maybe 10 to 15 people and am genuinely shook to the core. And you guys have been around me to a degree. Sometimes I really like hyper fixate on a movie and I won't shut up about this movie. It's been about Paddington. It's been a lot, a lot of things I think are genuinely great. But Speed Racer was that thing for me in 2008. But my friends are very strong-willed and none of them cared enough to actually make the effort. It also didn't help that Speed Racer lasted for a few days, I think, in like IMAX and theaters in Tulsa and then was quickly just pushed away to bring Iron Man back because Iron Man was colossal. 
And then it became a thing for me where I was also a big advent of making my friends come over to show them how good Blu-rays look. <laughs> they were like, D- DVD, what's the difference? And I'd be like, come to my home. We're going to watch. And when Speed Racer came out on Blu-ray, it was the go-to because it looked like a different world. That setup has zero payoff just to say that this is one of my favorite movies. I completely understand the criticism against it. I, I don't fight people on disliking it. But I think this is such a thing that knows exactly what it is. There is zero interest in realism. There's this obsession that we still struggle with now, or not we, but filmmakers and studios of trying to adapt things and stay true to the form. And so often it fails because they try so hard to stay true to the form that they don't understand the material and what translates it from the medium they're pulling it from. But I think the Wachowskis nail things here because they take the heart of the show and they keep that within the characters and then build everything else around the visuals. And their visual take is that, like we were saying earlier, anything is possible. There's nothing off limits. And so within that, you sort of immediately, and I think the theater really enhances this, but you kind of immediately within those first few minutes are just enveloped in this odd sense of how they're going to do things. And I could go on about each thing where you're just like, I can't, how did you do this? Like you have someone finishing a race and the screen flashes into checkerboards that spin into a transition that then pulls us into the house that wouldn't work in any other thing. It's like this beautiful thing that they've nailed down. Yeah, I was going to read like a little quote from them that Craig, you read like this full quote. This is Lena Wachowski. We don't experience the world in sentences and capitals and periods. We experience the world in this like running stream of consciousness and connections. We thought, wouldn't it be amazing to create sequences in a film that are just rushing montages that simulate the way we actually experience the world? Then later on, and we're like, wow, we could make the first Cubist film because we could do edits that have the back of someone's head and the front of their face on the screen at the same time Uh, and lastly we knew adults cannot accept challenges to their conventional aesthetic the aesthetic they are bonded to adults if you sort of assault the aesthetic they will really rage in this primitive way Uh, so we thought maybe we could make it for kids because kids are much more open aesthetically when I think back about the way we remember experiences in movies that we love and sort of how things blend and how set pieces stick with you and it's so weird to think about the things that stick with you from Speed Racer because so often you haven't created a falsity in your brain. It's exactly how it was. It just like gets to live that way, if that makes sense. Like, oh, it's this crazy scene and this and this happens. It almost sounds fake in retrospect. When I think about Speed Racer, it's completely in there is an energy to this movie that few other things have. There is a singularity to it that I think is so like, what do you compare? I think Scott Pilgrim's a good comparison, but beyond sort of this, who else has captured this vibe, I guess, successfully in this regard? And no one's tried since because it was kind of a failure to my understanding. It keeps failing. Yeah, the closest <laughs> I can think of is the Battle Angel Alita movie from a couple years ago. Spider-Verse? Spider-Verse, actually, especially with, in terms of aesthetic challenges and just playing with, like, what the technology is capable of doing. That's actually really, that's, that's a really good example. Comedy. And an understanding of, like, adaptation of what makes a form work in another form. And another example about how large audiences don't want to see it because Spider-Verse is, like, the least successful Spider-Man movie by half, I think. Oh, I, really? I, I thought it made pretty good bank. It's the least successful Spider-Man movie. The next most made like double. Oh, that's disappointing because that movie just banged. That movie was incredible. Oh, yeah. Spider-Verse is yeah. one of my favorite movies of the last 10 years. Sony feature animation is so good. This is a sidebar. If you guys haven't seen Mitchell's and the Machines, that movie reminded me of Spider-Verse because Spider-Verse was pushing the technological limits and playing with like animating things on different like everything. And Mitchell's and Machines had like almost like mixed media at various points. It was so just stunning visually. God, 
what a good flick. But yeah, that's the sort of thing that Speed Racer was doing, just like playing with what is visually and technologically possible. Yeah, that was one of my favorite parts of Mitchell's versus the Machines. I saw Mitchell's versus the Machines because of how much I love Spider-Verse. Yeah. And one of my favorite parts was how they incorporated what it's like to doodle in your notebook, all the different visual ways of being like a high school filmmaker, doodling in your notebook, and then the story itself. And so I, I want to just back you up on shouting out Sony Animation for doing great creative stuff. So I admire the Wachowskis, and I was talking to Connor about I still want to see Cloud Atlas because that's a book I read that I loved, and I'm sure they retained and found a cinematic way of doing the book within the book within the book within the book and then going back again, which was like when you read it, a lot, a lot of fun. But I haven't seen that one yet, and I may see that one and be like, no, that's my favorite Wachowskis, so I reserve that right. But having seen the first three Matrix movies and Speed Racer, Speed Racer is actually by and far my favorite. And I think that Speed Racer is one of the great movies of the 21st century. I love that it was for kids. I guess it is a separate conversation about how something's marketed or what expectations are or from the people that brought you the Matrix. So definitely, if you go in to see Speed Racer, you're gonna be like, what? But I mean, I actually have tons of kids movie ideas and I don't, and not that people do, but I don't say, oh, well, I'm this kind of filmmaker so I can't make kids films. Or conversely, I make kids films so I can't, I mean, I look at kids films as a genre that I love. And I love to watch Pixar. I love to see, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, or I love to see whatever. One of the things that cinema does at its best is it takes you to worlds you can't go to, or it's somehow you get to be in a world you wanna live in and be like, what is this world? And I think that Speed Racer world, I think I was talking to you, Anne, about this when we were all huddled after the movie, just like raving about how we loved it. But that dangerous cross-country race uh, yes. before the climax, like, I'm like, I want to race in that race. Like, this thing is crazy. The idea that they race, okay, and it doesn't even make geographic sense because somehow they start in the Middle East, but they end up like on another continent and they don't even explain it. But that's, it's like dream logic. One of the things I've always loved about race movies, and this is a trope about cross-country race movies, is that you sleep. You have to like, you have to lodge and then you begin the next, it's like the Tour de France. And then you begin the next lap the next day. And I love like during the downtime, they're attacked by ninjas somewhere at like a hotel. Like ninjas. Yeah. And Christina Ricci has that great line. I love John Goodman. We were talking about, I think that man is a national treasure. I don't think anyone's really arguing that at this point. But like, no matter what movie he's in, he betters it. I think he holds down the film. You know, I think Emile Hirsch is great, doesn't get enough credit for actually like pulling off speed. And I don't, Edwin, to your point, I'm somebody who loves film. I'm somebody who do the stunt for real, do the car stunt for real. So I'm with you, Edwin, that by and large, I prefer the real thing. But I understood from the beginning of this film, no, this is a different movie. And I actually find the car races thrilling I could just sing hazanas to this movie. I think it weirdly, I'm never lost in the geography of the film, which I think is a real testament. I mean, only Spielberg is really good at that, in my opinion, and maybe Cameron. Peter Jackson's pretty good at it too. But I thought the Wachowskis pulled off, oh, here's the geography of these races, enough that I could follow them. And then finally, I do think that the Wachowskis did a great thing. It's funny though, they thought they were the first people doing it, or maybe they didn't. Everything that they did in Speed Racer, we just did Woodstock, which is the 1970 documentary on the 1969 Concert Festival edited by Thelma Schoonmaker and, and Martin Scorsese. And actually a lot of the stuff they were doing with seeing somebody from two perspectives and all that is in Woodstock. I was watching Woodstock just a day or two after Speed Racer and I was like, 
oh, no, it was done 30 years before. And then I'm sure that, you know, Abel Gantz did it in Napoleon, a silent film. He did it as well. So I think the important thing isn't that you're like, we invented this, but it's that you get an idea originally. You're not imitating other people and you explore that idea in your own unique idiosyncratic way. And the way the Wachowskis explore the idea, the cubist stream of consciousness idea is thrilling. And Connor pointed it out. It culminates in like 40 close up wipes mm-hmm. that comes at the end. And you're like, you almost like transcend at that moment. Yeah. You're like, this is crazy. You know, the Wachowskis, not unlike the Neo storyline and not unlike actually a storyline that I don't want to ruin and it's not analogous exactly, but in a lot of their movies, a character undergoes a transformation Mm -hmm. to become the more real them. And for folks who don't know, Lana and Lily Wachowski are trans. Initially, they were introduced to us as the Wachowski brothers. I believe, wasn't Speed Racer the final film? Yeah, after that, they were the Wachowskis because um, Lana came out first. And so there's something interesting, too. They may be the most high-profile trans filmmakers. I think they certainly are. Who have actively tried to bring trans issues and trans sensibilities to uh, mainstream filmmaking. I think they rule the f***ing school. One of the things that I, I love about the Wachowskis is that... Whenever I watch a movie of theirs, they are going to swing for the fences every single time. And they may not always hit. I love Jupiter Ascending. That movie is just swinging every single shot. And sometimes it hits and sometimes it doesn't. (laughs) There's a really good Brazil sequence towards the middle. My favorite review of Jupiter Ascending was a glowing review of it because it understood the film. It says that Channing Tatum's wolf angel space cop man is introduced. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a dark alley. It's the dead of night. He's walking through it, but you can't see him, but he's like cloaked in shadow. And the way it's shot is like, he's here, guys. Kane, the wolf angel cop, Kane Wise. From our childhoods, we all know him. We all love like <laughs> the cultural currency of Batman. We love him. He's here. Save your applause for one of your shows. We know you're ready for this. You've been waiting for 20 years. I love Jupiter Ascending. They brought up, and I think during Jupiter Ascending, it was that aesthetics for films, especially like space films, kind of always look the same. Like, mm. uh, you know, you see one spaceship, especially amongst people who like aren't dedicated to like crafting an aesthetic, you kind of see them all, which is, I think, not an unfair criticism. Like, and one of the things I love about Jupiter Ascending was they were like, no, we're going to commit to um, 15 aesthetics and we're going to go all the way with all of them. That's the same thing with Speed Racer. Like they are 100,000% committing to this is a gonzo candy colored, like racing, like heroin rush for two hours. Get on board. With The Matrix, they were, I mean, one of the things I love about The Matrix, which I think I realized last time I saw it in theaters with Connor, with you, was pretend it's 1999 and you have never seen The Matrix before. You're just told you should go see this movie. The first act of that film, you don't know what the fuck is going on. It's a weird techno sci-fi thriller with like a lady in leather who appears and then sometimes doesn't and like strange phone calls and like... Until when Neo wakes up in the pod and you see like the row of the the, the towers of people, that is a moment where you in the theater scream, what the fuck am I watching? What is this? And then you get a new equilibrium and then they change the equilibrium and they change the equilibrium. I mean, that's also Speed Racer. One of the things I loved about it was like every time you reached a level where you were like on the same like equilibrium as the movie, they would zag on you and do something completely different that would just make you have to race to catch up with them, much like the movie. 
that's my favorite thing about them is that they're always, always, always trying to like push boundaries and do something strange and new and different. Obviously, we'll probably come back. Maybe we'll do a Cloud Atlas episode. I mean, we'll come back to the Wachowskis. Bound? Yeah, we Bound is amazing. Bound is so good. No one's talking about assassins. But you talk about assassins. Be the change in the world. Starring Sylvester Stallone. And Tony Medeiros. Directed by Richard Donner. And Julianne Moore. That's their first uh, writing credit together. I love it. I think it's their best stuff, man. It's a very uh, underappreciated film they did for Richard Donner, even though the studio kind of botched the script, but it's, it's a solid action picture. You know, with Stallone and Banderas is a nice little film. I urge people to watch it because it's a pretty good uh, action movie from the 90s. And then they did Bound and Matrix and then the rest is history. You sold that really well. <laughs> pretty good people, you know. I heard the the new Matrix was not that great, but uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Revolution. Revolution is really, I think that's my favorite Matrix movie. Uh, the third one? Really? Yeah, I like the third one a lot. Dude, that final fight sequence with Keanu and uh, Mr. Anderson, dude, that was awesome. That part's cool. If you like cartoon CGI, you should check out Speed Racer. They did that movie too. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and the three people here who have seen Matrix Resurrections all really liked it. It's really good. Loved Matrix Resurrections. They literally dropped the mic on Warner Brothers by name in it and won my heart. It's Lana Wachowski's new nightmare yeah watching some of it i was like how did you you can just say that there's like a part they literally they name drop someone says warner brothers wants a new sequel and we know how that goes if you don't get involved then we're gonna do it without you and he's like okay i'm like oh my god you can say that jonathan groff was like well you know our parent company time warner wants a new matrix like the theater i was in like we all were like like exactly like could you say that what the even my least favorite of their movies which sorry edwin is probably revolutions because i think usually about around hour eight of the sentinels attacking Zion, i get a little sleepy <laughs> i just like that they always seem to be trying to do something weird something a little different which has mostly led to their movies not doing well to be fair i think it worked once really well but i like that they stick to their guns and i think that they are uh they're like the first of their like generation of filmmakers i feel like in a way like they inaugurated this sort of like the wave after like tarantino and like soderbergh and people like that and i feel like edgar wright belongs in the same thing partially because of aesthetics the sort of like digital millennial like old millennial or like young gen x generation and and specifically being they are like auteur blockbuster directors they know that and they're not afraid of that i love the matrix matrix another i think one of the best movies ever and i watched bound for the first time yesterday you know talking about less so trans more so just broadly queer themes i saw someone on letterboxd say that that movie was the uh like epitome of be gay do crime and (laughs) i like like to love all their stuff. One of the things I liked about Bound and just like again, like I, I read this about it, their dedication to like always doing something new. That movie was turned down by several, I think, financiers because they were like, uh, "Well, you know, we could do it if you make the Gina Gershon character a, a man." And they were like, "We've seen that movie, no." And so it took longer to get made, but they made a much more interesting and unique movie because of it. Yeah, if people don't know, Bound is their first movie they directed before The Matrix that is a crime thriller mafia thing that involves this basically bisexual love triangle to a certain degree. More so like a lesbian relationship at the center. It makes it, makes it very unique. I'll, I'll continue with the glowing praise. I'm in the same boat. I think... The Wachowskis are sort of the queens of reappraisal. I feel like they're operating 15 years in the future. Yes. To a degree, because they just seem to make things that somehow down the line find the audience it was meant for. 
And I'm happy they continue to get the money in the capacities that they do to make these things because they're colossal. I mean, beyond Bound of the Matrix, their Matrix sequels, which I think have very contentious people's opinions on, have still found a large degree of reappraisal in the years past. I think Reloaded is one of the best action films in that regard. Uh, Revolution. Revolutions is the third movie. Um, this was one of those that grew on me. It has some stuff that deserves it at its own conversation, but as an idea and coming from the book it's based on, which I read when it was announced they were doing it, it's another one of those in an adaptation sense is kind of wild what they accomplish in understanding book to movie and what movie does different than book. Cloud Atlas was co-directed by Tom Tickber, who did yeah. Run, Lola, Run. Yeah, I think that's just something, the way that they operate is so interesting because I think it's the swing for the fence thing, but it's also just this continual understanding of their dedication to moving things forward the way they want to move it form in the way that they tell their stories and the way that they use technology to tell their stories. I think in the pantheon of people like James Cameron, who's sort of famous for that, I think they belong in that conversation beyond just the Matrix bullet time. I think they look to technology for how it can improve the ways they want to share their art. And I think we often get obsessed with the way we can do things like it used to be or these certain ways. And while a lot of times that can be the way that you do it, if it favors the way that you're telling your story, their storytelling relies in how can we do anything we want to in whatever capacity that is never questioned because it can exist in the realm we create. And I think that's super impressive. So I always enjoy and look forward to everything that they put out because they're Stuff's wild. I admire the Wachowskis more than personally gravitate towards their stuff. But Speed Racer, I love unabashedly. And Matrix, the first Matrix, even if I don't go back to it a lot, I remember seeing it in the theater in 1999. And you could feel you were like, wow, this is great. This is and no one thought it was great at the time. It, it's hard to explain, but they dropped it in February or March of that year. Mm -hmm. The studio just thought they thought it was going to be Johnny Mnemonic or something again. Just another like Keanu Reeves techno thriller. No one was ready for just how that movie took over pop culture. And anybody who makes something like that, that's lightning in a bottle of lightning bottles. So I remember and I, I was like, whoa, I think it takes a lot of guts to be experimental. And I think it takes a lot of guts to try to push the form. I can understand studios when a director comes, we're pushing the form and the studio's like, we know how those movies do. We don't need you to push the form. We, we need you to make 150 million for us so we can employ the 5,000 people that work at the studio. And when a filmmaker comes there, you know, they have to know that kind of pushback that they're gonna get. And yet, as you're saying, it's almost a thankless task to be an innovator because what happens is that you innovate Everybody is like, what was that? And it's only 15 years later or 20 years later when everybody has taken from you and they were like, oh, no, you, you kind of set up cinema for the next 20 years. And you're like, OK, thanks, guys. It was really brutal to go through that. And I have to tip my hat to Lana and Lily because that's not an easy thing to do, to take that chance and then take that blowback and only be appreciated 10 years later. But that's the long game. And when you can play the long game like that, you know, we will be talking about these movies and now these movies everybody loves. Just hats off. Still no Speed Racer 4K? How come, Warner Brothers? Yeah, I'd like to, I think through Secret Movie Club, we need to put out, we should start the petition. I'd like to be, I think this group here should be responsible for getting the presentation we deserve. Yeah, you cut my name out of that, you know, I'm cool. Yeah, I was gonna leave your name. <laughs> Pop culture and final thoughts, and I would love to shout out my one of my favorite bands right now, Ghost, for putting on a hell of a show in Anaheim a couple weeks ago. Um, they were incredible. I'm having a I'm, love heavy metal. I'm seeing Judas Priest, my other favorite band tonight, so that's fun. And I've been reading a lot of Poirot books for some delightful little mysteries while at work. Uh, I saw Fantasm 2 last night. 
pretty badass prefer over the first one uh, I took a trip to uh, Burbank to uh, Hollywood Books and Poster probably now the second greatest place in Burbank it was awesome I got a lot of stuff I just shouted them out I decided to save this one for Anne's here because she's a comic book person also is I just caught up on DC's Human Target series which has been really fun uh, written by Tom King it's got a great throwback art style which always gets me like to go to it I don't really like realism or like cutesy as much especially realism in art and dc black label put out a lot of interesting more adult oriented stuff the last issue especially was really cool it all took place while the character was handing martian manhunter who's a psychic assault shaker and martian manhunter is trying to infiltrate his mind and he knows some like weird psychic tricks and so the whole issue is like this kaleidoscope of their thoughts intertwining and reading each other Issue 6 coming out soon. You can check me out at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz and watch me play D&D Tuesdays, 7 Pacific Time at twitch.tv slash NerdHala. I'm still on a high from the Batman. Beyond that, I caught up with Succession Season 3, which is just a masterful piece of a show. I'm not a big TV person, so when TV hooks me, I'm always very invested. And then I'm finishing up a book called Dark Matter by Blake Crouch. That's this great science fiction book that's really wild. And I'm going to dive into his next one, which I think is called Recursion Next. Just vibing. Nice. We just showed last week, I talked about it earlier, an amazing week. You know, at Speed Racer, then we did Woodstock on 35mm, the 1970 documentary, which I highly recommend everybody see who's a filmmaker. And then we did Prince Ahmed, the first extant animated movie with a live Gamelon band. And watching Woodstock, the story that we, we all were blown away by was they had 10 hours they wanted to cram in. And the studio was like, no, you can't make a 10 hour movie. So Martin Scorsese had the idea, okay, we'll make a three hour movie, but we'll do three panels the whole time. And that way we'll, it'll be a 10 hour movie in three hours. And what they came up with and created was so inspiring from all everything I've heard, that shoot was just really rough on every Everybody. And then Prince Ahmed, it took her three years to do this in the 1920s. And and we all watched it on film. And it's it just this amazing animated film from the 1920s. And it just hit me again and again that if, if you really want to do good work, you have to be willing to really work hard and do some blood, sweat and tears. And when that happens, you feel it. You feel it. And you have a feeling of like, oh, this is what cinema was. This is what cinema can be. I'm not saying that you have to be a martyr, you have to suffer, but I think you have to be willing to work really, 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 really hard to create something good. So that's all we have time for this week, folks. Can we give it up for Anne, everybody? Thank you guys Woo! so much for having me on. I Thanks really, for I'm so happy to be here. And it was wonderful. First, not the last time. Thank you very, very much. Uh, next week's episode is Super Movie Club Podcast 97. It's our two-year anniversary. We're going to be talking about movies that we love that everybody is not such a fan of. So movies we love that a lot of other people hate. Stay tuned for that. As always, this episode was edited by our Chief Creative Content Officer, Connor Lloyd-Cruz. You can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. Find out about everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. I got to wrap this up. So guys, have a great week. I will talk to you all soon. Thank you everybody for being on the show. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.